0: We're going to look at Christ's words on that first resurrection morning. And this morning, I want to bring you a message entitled, Because He Lives. You've heard us singing much about that this morning, He Lives and and Because He Lives. And uh, the fact, what that does for us. And this morning here at Liberty, I try each and every Sunday, we seek to make much of the Bible. We want our messages saturated with Scripture. And so we're going to look at a good portion uh, of Scripture from John's Gospel this morning. If you have your Bibles with you, I'd invite you to turn with me to John in chapter number 19. John 19. If you don't have a copy of God's Word with you, there should be one in the pew rack in front of you, Uh, or if you follow along on if you use an app on a phone or a tablet, I'll be reading from the King James Version this morning, and we'll also put the verses on the screens. I just believe if you're going to come to church, we hear enough of man's wisdom and man's opinion all week long about how to fix all of this, and I don't know about you, I don't know if you figured it out, but it doesn't seem like man has too many answers, and it doesn't seem like we're figuring out how to fix everything. But God's Word does have the answers, and I believe as we we come to church, we had to look into scripture. And what I want you to do this morning is I really want you to put yourself into the story as we read that we're going to read much of John 20, but we're going to start with the last few verses of John 19. And don't just read words on a page. These were real people, a real savior, a real Messiah, uh, real disciples, real followers. And, and picture that what's happening as we read it and, and ask God to speak to our hearts. In fact, let's go to him right now and do that. Lord, would you take the my feeble thoughts and, and, and abilities, and God, would you supersede anything that I have and use your word to touch lives, to impact hearts, to change lives for eternity. I thank you for those, the, the Spanish service that's happening right now, the children's ministries, all that are hearing from you this morning. I pray that hearts would be touched and lives would be changed because of your word today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter number 19, verse number 40, the Bible says, then took they... The body of Jesus. So we have a dead Savior. The Son of God has been crucified. They took the the body of Jesus and wound it in linen clothes with the spices, as the manner of Jews is to bury. Now, in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new sepulchre, a new tomb. Wherein was never man yet laid, and there laid they Jesus, therefore, because of the Jews' preparation day, for the sepulcher was nigh at hand. So put yourself there, I've been to Israel and the place that they believe may be the garden tomb where Christ was buried right there in the shadow of Golgotha. where we find ourselves in this story is Christ has has paid the ultimate price. He has shed his perfect sinless blood for your sins and for mine, for the sins of all mankind, and they've taken his body down, and and you can see it's not a very far walk from Golgotha there to that garden tomb area, and they've they've put his body in the tomb. And now we have uh, uh, John chapter 20, verse number one. The first day of the week, that is Sunday, Sunday is the first day of the week. It's why we as Christians, we gather every Sunday. It is to commemorate the resurrection of our Savior. And we, we celebrate, and we, we should gather every Sunday to celebrate his resurrection, not just on Easter Sunday, but of course we put a little extra emphasis on the resurrection on Easter Sunday. Then the first day of the week, Sunday morning, that first resurrection morn, cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark under the sepulcher, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher, then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, that is John, the writer here, and saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulchre, and we know not where they have laid him, the, the terror, the fear. Mary Magdalene, that one that had been possessed of demons, that one who had been rejected by society, but, but somewhere early in Jesus' ministry he had spoken her name, and Mary, and her entire life changed. He cast the demons out of her. And that one that had been rejected by society was now redeemed by a savior. And she was the first one there at the garden tomb that resurrection morn. And she came there early while it was yet dark and looks. And what happened? Where did he go? Where, Where did they take his body? And she goes and tells Peter and John, verse number three, Peter therefore went forth and that other disciple and came to the sepulcher. So they ran both together. And the other disciple did outrun Peter. John is the one writing this. He's the one he's talking about. I, find, I always find that detail in Scripture a little funny. John, he's like my, my, my boys. I'm faster than you. He wanted us to know he could outrun Peter. I don't know why that, that's in there, but he wanted us to know he got there first. And came first to the sepulcher in verse 5. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying. Yet when he not in... Then cometh Simon Peter following him and went into the sepulcher and seeth the linen clothes lie and the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went in also that other disciple, which came first to the sepulcher and saw and believed. For as yet they knew not the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again unto their own home. So Mary comes. He's not here. Peter and John, where is he? Peter and John come. He's not here. They don't know where he is. They go back home. Mary stays in the garden. Verse number 11, but Mary stood without at the sepulcher. What was she doing, church? She was what? Weeping. Weeping. Again, feel the emotion. Feel the heartache. Weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down And looked into the sepulchre, she seeth two two angels in white sitting, the one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. And they say unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She saith unto them, Because they've taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing and knew not that it was Jesus. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She, supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, Sir, if thou have borne him thence, Tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. Do you see? She comes out, and she's the only one alone on that early Sunday morning. She's there, in the, and and it's been three days. They've, they've been fearful. They've been uncertain. They've been scared. They don't know what's coming. The one they had given their lives to, the one that had promised them a future, the one that they had, give, they had left everything for has, has been gone for three days, and, and they don't know what to do. They don't know what's coming. Are we the next ones that are going to be crucified? They don't know what's happening, and Mary is there at the tomb, and Mary is weeping, and she comes out, and there's a man standing there. She doesn't recognize that it's Jesus, and and maybe because of her tears, maybe because she was looking down. We don't know exactly why, but she says, woman, why weepest thou? Why are you crying? She said, just tell me where he is, and I want you to see by way of introduction here the things that we're going to see because he lives, but I want you to see, number one, on that first resurrection morning, I see a question of concern. Woman, why weepest thou? Jesus cared about her heartache. He cared about what she was going through. He was interested in her pain. He was compassionate toward her trouble. He cared for her in her time of need. And you may be here this morning, and there are many, I don't know your stories. There are some that are first-time guests, and others you've been coming for a little while, and others maybe you've been here for years, and I don't know what all of the burdens that you're carrying. But may I say there is a Savior that knows. He cares about what you're facing, he cares about your heartache, that question of concern. I like the verse in Matthew chapter 9, verse number 36, when it says, When Jesus saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. He was he was brokenhearted over them because they were sheep that were scattered abroad, having no shepherd. I love the fact that he cared about the lost multitudes, but I love the fact that he cared not just about the multitudes but he had compassion on the individual. Woman, the first one he talks to after his crucifixion, after three days in the tomb, the first one he talks to, his first words, Woman, why weepest thou? What's bothering you? How can I help you? Why, why are you hurting? What's going on? What can I do for you? And on this Easter Sunday morning, some 2,000 years later, I just want to remind you that we serve the same Savior. I don't know what burden is heavy on your heart, but he cares for you. He, he cares about what you're facing. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter number 4, it says, For we have not an high priest, which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin, let us therefore, because of the pain he has faced, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You have a high priest that has felt the pain you're feeling, that knows what it's like to be betrayed, that knows what it's like to have a broken heart, that knows what it's like to lose a loved one, that knows what it's like to be lied about, that knows what it's like to be misunderstood. That question of concern, I like what the songwriter said. He cares for you. He cares for you. He ever loves and cares for you. He'll do what no one else can do, for Jesus cares for you. I just want to say this morning, if you're here today and your heart is breaking, Jesus cares. If your world is crumbling, Jesus cares. If your marriage is in trouble, Jesus cares. If your children are struggling, Jesus cares. If you've lost your job, Jesus cares. If your health is broken, Jesus cares. If you've been deeply hurt or painfully betrayed, Jesus cares. If you're facing a crisis of your faith, Jesus cares. If you're fearful because of a worldwide pandemic, Jesus cares. If you can't figure out what he is doing or how he is working, Jesus cares. I don't know everything that you're facing, but he does and he cares for you. I see in verse number 16, notice, so he says, she she says, just tell me where he is. And notice verse number 16. I see, secondly, a word of connection. Would you look at verse 16? Jesus saith unto her. What word did he say, church? What did he say? His first statement, he said, Woman, why weepest thou? She doesn't know who it is. And I see a word of connection. Jesus said unto her, when he said, Here's what's bothering me, he says unto her, Mary, aren't you glad he knows her name? He knows your name. He knows what you're facing. She had been rejected by society, but she had been redeemed and accepted by the Savior. One word, and she knew exactly who he was. Look at it in verse 16. Jesus saith unto her, Mary, she turned herself, and saith unto him, Rabboni. With tears streaming down her face, she hears that voice. And there's only one man that has said her name like that, and maybe it brought her back to the time when he redeemed her. And I know that voice. She saith, he saith unto her, Mary, and she turns around. Rabboni, that is to say, Master, it's you. That word of connection. Can you sense the love, the care, the concern, the relationship? Again, a reminder that Jesus is a personal Savior. We find in Matthew's gospel that, that every hair of our heads is numbered. If you're like me, for some of us, that's getting easier to do year by year. Matthew chapter number six tells us that, that he cares for the flowers of the field that might be alive for a few days or a few months. And says that not one bird can fall from the sky that he doesn't know about. How much more does he care about you? How much more does he want a relationship with you? How much more does he see you and love you and desire to be with you? We see that with Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve and in the garden, God came and walked with them in the garden every day. Don't get over this church. The creator of the universe loves you and wants a personal relationship with you. The savior of the world is not too busy for your individual needs. He wants to spend time with you, a word of connection. I don't know why each one of you are here. Some of you, you come every Sunday and others, maybe a friend invited you, a neighbor, a coworker, maybe you saw it online. But may I say, and I don't know what God's doing in your life, but I can tell you this. He wants a deeper connection with everyone in this room. No matter why you've come, he desires to spend time with you. He desires to know you more and for you to know him more. He wants that relationship. Look at verse number 17. Verse number 17, Jesus saith unto her, she says, Rabboni, Master, says, touch me not, for I'm not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my Father and your Father, my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things unto her. Verse 19, then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, the disciples were assembled for one reason. Why were they all together in one room? What's the next four words? They were assembled for what? They were assembled for what? They weren't assembled to celebrate. This wasn't a happy gathering. It didn't feel like this. They weren't assembled to to learn with each other. They weren't assembled to study. They weren't assembled to grow. They were assembled because they were scared to death. Scared to death. What does this mean? I gave my life to Christ, and this is what happens? I decided to follow him, and this comes into my life? This disappointment? This confusion? this, This thing I never foresaw? And they were assembled for fear of the Jews. I want you to see it in verse number 19. While they were assembled for fear of the Jews, then came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, what are the last four words, church? Peace be unto you. First words, he speak to his assembled disciples. Now, Now he knew what they needed. And the first word he says is peace. Peace. I see here on that first resurrection morn, a word of calm a word of calm. Not only a question of concern and a word of connection, but a word of calm. Peace be unto you. And again, a reminder that Jesus knows exactly what we need and he is the answer to exactly what we need wherever we find ourselves and whenever we find ourselves in life. Peace be unto you. He comes in and gives them that word of calm. It's interesting, it's the exact same word he used to calm. They they would have recognized the word because they had been on the boat in the Sea of Galilee when they thought they were gonna die. They thought the ship was going under. They thought there was no way out. They said, you brought us out here. We're about to die. We're going to all drown to death. And what did Jesus say to the waves? Peace, be still. They had heard that word before and, oh, I forgot. He can calm the Sea of Galilee. He can probably calm my heart today. He can come through there. He can probably come through now. And perfect love casteth out all fear. Peace be still. He is the prince of peace. He came to bring peace. Not necessarily political peace, but peace in our souls. A calm that can only come from Christ. A forgiveness that can only come from the Father. The peace of God, which passes all understanding. Their greatest need was peace. They were in fear of the Jews. And his first word was what? Peace. And Then I want you to see in verse number 20, a display of completion. Would you read verse 20 aloud with me? Ready? Begin. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. It's amazing how Jesus in our lives can change everything. Fear the verse before, gladness the next verse. That that, that display of completion, what did he do? He came in and showed them, It's done. I took the nails for you. I I, I took the spear for you. I shed my blood for you. That display of completion, I I paid your entire debt. Disciples, the work that I came to do is done. The debt is paid. Salvation has been purchased. That bill that you could never pay, I paid it all. I heard about a crazy bill about three years ago around Christmas time. A family in Pennsylvania received, the Horomansky family. True story. Erie, Pennsylvania. They received their electric bill in the mail and, uh, and, and as they opened the mail, Mary Horomansky took her glasses off, repositioning them, thinking she had, she had seen something wrong. She looked, her electric bill for the month that came in was $284 billion. The bill stated that, that she, had, she owed an amount that would pay off the combined national debt of Venezuela, Nigeria, Peru, and Iceland, all at one, in one fell swoop. Thankfully, the statement noted she didn't owe it all that month. She had a year to pay it. <laughs> that month's portion was only $28,000. Elon Musk, the, as of January this year, the world's richest man, wouldn't have been able to cover the bill with his entire net worth. This was impossible, of course. Thankfully, quickly, her husband and son called First Energy, and they cleared it up. It was a clerical error. And they didn't have to pay $284 billion or or billion over the course of their lives or whatever it might be or have their power turned off. And it's a humorous story, but it's a reminder every one of us has a sin debt that there is nobody on earth that is able to cover our sin debt. There is nothing you could do for the entirety of your life to pay that debt back. Without Christ, we are hopelessly and helplessly bankrupted in our sin, but through his grace, we become heirs of his unlimited resources, disciples, I paid it all. In 1865, a 45-year-old lady sat in the choir loft of her church. As her pastor stepped to the pulpit to preach, and as he began to pray to open his sermon, her mind began to think about the great price that Christ had paid for her salvation. She had to get the minds out of her, the, the words out of her mind. So she was in the choir loft. She grabbed a hymnal that was right in front of her. Don't do this today, folks. She grabbed a hymnal and she began to write in the front of the hymnal. She began to write a poem these words about what Christ had done to pay her sin debt. After the service was over, the pastor finished preaching. She walked out and and handed him this hymnal with the poem she had written, and she didn't know it, but the church organist, his name was John Grape. John that week had written a tune and given it to the pastor. He didn't have any words to it, but he had written a song, And, and in 1865 in Baltimore, Maryland at Monument Street Baptist Church, Pastor Schrick looked at the poem and saw the new tune and the poem fit together perfectly. The poem she wrote as she thought about what Christ had done for her was, in our hymnal, song number 293. I invite you to sing the first stanza with me in a chorus. As we think about all that Christ has done, she wrote these words. I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed. Beautiful. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me, think about it. And Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. And sin had left a crimson stain, and he washed it white another stanza for nothing good have I whereby thy grace to claim I'll wash my garments white in the blood of Calvary's lamb join me on the last and when before the throne and when before the throne I stand yes what a day Oh, Jesus died my soul to save. My lips shall still repeat. Sing it out, church. And Jesus faded it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. and He did white as on that first resurrection morn, really that was resurrection evening. He walked into that room, said, "I've paid it all." I didn't start the job. I didn't, I didn't start the process for you and buy you the materials and give you a do-it-yourself project how you can figure out your way to heaven. Here's what you need to get started now. I hope you really work hard and do a lot of good things to make your way there. No, Jesus paid it all. There's nothing left for you to do other than to accept his free gift by faith through grace alone. There are no good works that you can do to earn your way to heaven. There are no offerings that you can give to buy your way into heaven. There, are, there is no service you can do to work your way into heaven. Jesus paid it all. What did he say on the cross as he hung there? What did he say? To tell us, it is what? It's finished. In those days, that word, tetelestai, was an accounting term. And if you had a debt that you had owed and you had been working to pay it off, they would stamp on your, your invoice, they would stamp on your account, your ledger, tetelestai, it is finished, paid in full. And Jesus, he walked in. Fear not. Peace be still. It's finished. I did it all, I did the work. You don't have to improve on my work. You don't have to earn my love, my grace, my mercy, my favor, I love you, Mary, a word of connection. Why are you weeping, a question of concern? I, I want a relationship with you, I'm here. Calm, a word of calm, a display of complete, completion. And may I just interject in here? You may say, I, I've, I've kinda heard this before, I, but I'm, I, either I'm doubting that Jesus is savior or. There's been a time where I gave my life to Christ, but I'm kind of at a crisis of faith. I don't know. i I followed him for a while, but I'm kind of doubting if this whole thing is real. May I just say I love that here in the, the days following the resurrection, Jesus understands that some will doubt, and he is patient to reach out to them again and again. Look at verse number 24. Somebody that followed him for three years. Verse 24, we're almost done. But who, church? But who? We call him Doubting Thomas. That kind of stinks. Like billions of of people throughout history know you as Doubting Thomas. But Thomas, one of the 12 called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. Again, that kind of stinks too. Like I don't know if they sent him on an errand. Hey, we need some ice. Go get some ice at the corner store. While he's gone, Jesus comes back and and shows himself to all the disciples. He wasn't there. Like that's that's major FOMO, right? That's a bummer. You get back there. And you're like, what is happening? They're all, it's amazing, Thomas. Notice what they say. The other disciples therefore said unto him, we have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails, thrust my hand into his side, I'll not believe. I I would imagine, I, I would say, Thomas was having a crisis of faith. He followed Christ for three years. The crucifixion was the last straw for him. Forget it. What was this? Yeah, right. Okay, whatever. If I can touch his hands, which that's not going to happen. If I can touch his hands, I'll believe it. Other than that, I want to hear you guys' fairy tales. I don't believe that. Notice this, verse 26. And after eight days, again, his disciples were within. A week later, Thomas with them. Then came Jesus. Aren't you glad he came back to Thomas? The doors being shut and stood in the midst and said, what does he say to them? Peace be unto you. Then saith he, he walks in. Again, I love reading the Bible. Don't just read it as words on a page. Put yourself in the story. They're all there. They've been talking about the last time they saw Jesus for a week, and there he is again. And everyone's like, he's back. First thing he says, uh, I shouldn't do that. I'm Doubting Daryl. Hey, Thomas, just, you're going to be Thomas today. Hey, Thomas, I love this. First thing he says, go ahead and feel it. Thomas is like, who told him? He wasn't here when I said that. One of you guys texted him. Who told him I wanted that? Hey, Thomas, reach your hand in. By the way, I don't think it was Jesus condemning him. I think it was him saying, I'm real, I love you, give your life to me. Hey, Thomas, reach your your finger in and behold my hands and reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side and be not faithless but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, my Lord and my God, I believe. And then I see, lastly, a word of conversion. Verse 29. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. Verse 31, would you read it aloud? The last verse we'll read. Ready? Begin. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. Why did God record those words in John 20? That you, they he, he says it right there, they were written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God and that in believing you might have life through his name. Why do we have a church here at Liberty Baptist Church and I try to preach God's word every Sunday? Why? That you might believe that Jesus is the Christ and that in believing you might have life through his name. Why all these songs just make us feel good? Well, I did my my religious thing today. No, it's not a religion. It's a relationship with with the one who died for us. Why do we sing all these? That maybe if there's some that are here or watching online that do not know Christ is their personal Savior, that as you hear these things, that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, and then believing you'll have life through his name. So my question to you this Sunday morning is, do you believe? It's why he came. It's why he died. It's why he rose again. It's why his followers have been sharing this good news for some 2,000 years, at times costing them their very lives. And, and you say, well, you don't know who I am. I, I'm not like you, I didn't grow up like you. I, you don't know the things I've done. I, I've, you know, I'm beyond saving, I, that, that's not for me. I, I've done too much. I wanna close with a story. I wanna show you a picture. This guy's name is John Liggett. His his nickname is Grasshopper. John Grasshopper Liggett. He died of cancer while serving a life sentence for murder. Prisoner, life sentence for murder. He never got to see the work for which he is now best known because he was buried three months before Ruth Graham's casket raised awareness of who he was in 2007. You see Grasshopper here built the caskets for evangelist Billy Graham and his wife Ruth Graham. Billy Graham maybe humanly speaking, since the Apostle Paul, may be the single human most responsible for the most number of public professions of faith that I'm aware of, an evangelist that was used worldwide, and I've personally met uh, scores of converts that said they got saved either watching or attending a Billy Graham crusade. Then there may be some things that you or I wouldn't agree with everything with Billy Graham, but there's no doubt that he was a bold uh, preacher of the gospel for much of his life. And Billy Graham, you think of Billy and and, and Ruth Graham, they had lived for God, a clean life, not a hint of scandal anywhere in their lives. And then you think of Grasshopper here in Angola State Prison in Louisiana for murder. That's where he built those caskets. Billy Graham's casket cost $215. They were built in Angola State Prison in Louisiana. And, and, and uh, you see, John, John's brother, said that the incarcerated murderer was a changed man. He had trusted Christ in prison. While going through a box that he discovered at his mother's home, John's brother found dozens of certificates confirming his study of God's word and his involvement in church. Billy Graham, only the fourth private citizen to lie in state in the Capitol Rotunda. His casket was there amongst U.S. presidents. Lied in states in the Capitol Rotunda, but yet his death revealed that a prisoner, the prisoner who built his $215 casket, and every picture of that casket is a reminder that carries the message that no matter who you are or what you've done, God's eternal love and forgiveness are available to all. You see, inside that casket is Billy Graham. Etched on the outside is the name John Liggett engraved there it's a reminder these two men live very different lives here on earth but they're both in the same place as brothers in Christ sons of God today in heaven it doesn't matter what you've done where you've been because he lives you can have forgiveness are you like the disciples you find yourself here celebrating the resurrection of Christ, but you're facing great heartache and fear and difficulties in life, doubt, uncertainty. What's going on in the world? Where is Christ in all of this? What's the answer for my future and my eternity? What's this world going to look like for my children? I want to remind you this morning, he cares what you're going through. Why weepest thou? I want to remind you, he wants a relationship. Don't let the next time you open his word be maybe at another special holiday at church. Open his word this week. He wants to communicate with you, pray to him this week. And I'm glad if you normally only go to church on Easter or or Christmas, I'm so glad that you're here, but may I say, God would love to meet with you every week. And you can meet with him outside of the church, yes, but he would love for you to corporately gather and worship and spend time with his people. He wants to connect, he's calling your name, he's speaking peace because of the completed work on the cross and he's calling you to conversion, to convert, to give your life to Christ. Jesus is alive. Because he lives, we can face tomorrow. If you don't know Christ, will you place your faith and trust in Christ alone today? If you are saved, may you be reminded of the care that he has for you and the connection he wants with you. You see, Jesus was misunderstood. He was lied about. He was betrayed. He was falsely accused and unjustly convicted. He was spat upon and crowned with a crown of thorns. He was beaten and scourged beyond recognition. Jesus was bruised and bloodied. He was weakened and faltering. He was nailed to a cross and crucified like a criminal. He died with a broken heart and a broken body. And then he was laid in a borrowed tomb. But Jesus didn't stay in the borrowed tomb. Oh no, Jesus got up from that tomb, and three days later he conquered sin, death, and the grave. Jesus had been safely guarded by the Roman soldiers, but they couldn't keep him from rising again. A heavy stone couldn't stop Jesus. Despite all their best efforts, they couldn't keep Jesus down for long. He had to rise just as he said he would. Oh yes, Jesus is alive and he lives forevermore, and because he lives, you and I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, we can live forever. Because he lives, we can have every sin forgiven. Because he lives, we can spend eternity in heaven. Because he lives, we can know peace here on earth. And because he lives, we can know joy for all eternity. Because he lives. I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. And if you're here this morning and you say, Pastor Ryan, while you were talking about the fact that Christ died for me, and he wants to have a personal relationship with me. There's something going on in my heart. I can't explain it. I can. I can tell you that's the Holy Spirit of God drawing you to himself. You say, Pastor Ryan, that's me. I don't know for sure if I died that I'd go to heaven. But, Pastor Ryan, on this Easter Sunday morning, I want to begin a relationship with Christ. I want to accept him into my life. I want to place my faith and trust in him alone. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I want to be saved this morning. What I'm going to do here with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, no one looking around, I'm going to lead you in a prayer similar to one that I prayed nearly 32 years ago when I placed my faith and trust in Christ alone. Let me just say there's no magical prayer that gets you into heaven. It's, it's, a, it's a heart level faith in the finished work of Christ, you're saying, I'm trusting nothing else, not my good works, I'm trusting Christ alone. But I'll lead you in a prayer. And if you'd like to accept Christ into your life today, I'd like you to pray something like this, either aloud or there in your heart where you're seated Dear Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner. I've done things that go against you and your word. And according to your word, I understand that my sin destines me to a place called hell. But I believe that God loved me so much that he sent you, Jesus, to die in my place. And this morning, for the first time, I'm accepting the free gift of salvation. I'm ex- inviting you into my life. I'm trusting you and only you to forgive me of my sins and to take me to heaven when I die. There heads bowed and her eyes closed, I won't call you out and I won't embarrass you, but I'd like to rejoice with you. Say, Pastor Ryan, I prayed something like that, and I meant it, asking Christ to come in and become my Savior. Would you just slip your hand up? I'd love to rejoice with you on this Easter Sunday morning. Pastor Ryan, that's me. I see a hand back there. Thank you. That's me. I see another hand here and another one there. This Sunday morning and another one here. This Sunday is the day that I've accepted Christ. I've, I've stopped trusting in myself, and I'm placing my faith and trust the best I know how, in him alone. Is there others? I'd like to rejoice with you. If you slipped your hand up, I'd love for you to see me or one of the pastors before you leave. And I'd love to answer any other questions you might have and talk with you a little bit about that decision. If you're here and you didn't slip your hand up and you say, I'm interested, but I'm still a little confused or I don't quite know that that's the answer, we would love to take God's word and answer any questions that you have. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.